You bless the Lord. We are going to dive into this tonight. Uh, when Jesus, when he sent out his disciples, they were, they were super pumped when they found out that they had power over the demonic realm. Would you not be incredibly pumped if God manifest in flesh, chooses you, and then says, you're going to go do greater things than this, and you're going to have power over the demonic realm. We, we read about this, but when they come back to Jesus and they tell him about it, he says something really interesting. In Luke 10, he says, uh, Luke 10, 17, he says, when the 72 disciples returned, they joyfully reported to him, Lord, even the demons obey us when we're using your name. I, I don't know, maybe, maybe they thought he didn't know this, and so they were like sharing the news with him, like, Lord, this is incredible. I have, I have something exciting to share with you. And he just says, yes. Uh, he says, I saw Satan fall from heaven like lightning. That, that, again, that's, so that's kind of not the response. Maybe they might have anticipated like, Lord, the demonic realm, we use your name and we got power because of your name. Yes, I saw Satan fall from heaven like lightning. He says, look, I've given you authority over all power of the enemy. And you can walk among snakes and scorpions and crush them. Now, that doesn't mean you tempt the Lord your God. Some Pentecostal churches, I've had anybody ever ask you, do you guys handle snakes? <laughs> no, we don't. We avoid that at all costs. But he's talking about the power that we have. And he says, you can walk among snakes and scorpions. You can crush them. Nothing will injure you. He says, but don't rejoice because evil spirits obey you. He says, rejoice because your names are registered in heaven. Interesting. They come back. They're totally pumped. Ah, we use your name. The demons have to listen. He's like, yeah, yeah, you don't understand that. You're going to have power. Absolutely, I understand. But just remember, don't just get excited about the demons having to obey you. He says, you know, it should, should pump you up more than anything. Your name is registered in heaven. So tonight, I want to talk about ensuring that my name is written in heaven. Jesus, we love you. Thank you for this day. Thank you for the people here, those online watching. Lord, you're so awesome. Words, we, we, could, we could try to string together words, and it's still not going to do justice for who you are in our lives. But we adore you. And God, we thank you for meeting us here and always just blessing us. We're, we're, we feel blessed and highly favored every time we get together just because your presence is here and, and we feel that touch. But Lord God, anoint me and Lord God, give me the strength and, and, and to just deliver what you're laying on my heart. Speak through me. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So in this, in my walk with God on this earth, I, I want to, personally, I want to reach the lost. I want to pray. I want to walk with God. I want to love my family. I want to be a good dad and a good husband. I want to be financially stable. I want to have fun. I want to be a good pastor. I want to make disciples. But there's nothing. There's nothing on planet Earth, nothing in this world that is more important to me than making sure that my name is written in the Lamb's book of life. Nothing. Nothing, I know we can lose track of that, but nothing matters more than that. I want nothing more than to stand before the King of kings and the Lord of lords and for the first time just see him face to face. And he looks at me and says, well done. Well done, my good and faithful servant. And when he tells me to enter in, there's nothing that compares to that. I want to be a part of Revelation 21 where it says, I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, look, God's home is now among his people. He will live with them and they will be his people. God himself will be with them. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and there will be no more death, no more sorrow, no more crying, no more pain. All these things are gone forever. All who are victorious will be clothed in white. I will never erase their names from the book of life, but I will announce before my Father and his angels that they are mine. 
I, there's nothing that can ever compare to that. There's nothing, I want nothing more than to be a part of that. There's nothing in this world ever has to offer that is a fair exchange for that. Jesus aimed to make this clear in Mark 8. He says, then calling the crowd to, to join his disciples, he said, if any of you wants to be my follower, notice there was a crowd and there was disciples. I want to be a disciple. Churches are filled with crowds. Churches are not all filled with disciples. I want to be a disciple. So he called the crowd to join his disciples. He said, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way. Take up your cross and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you'll lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake and for the sake of the good news, you will save it. And what do you benefit if you gain the whole world but you lose your own soul? Is anything worth more than your soul? Hypothetically, question. That, that response is, of course, absolutely not. So this begs the question, how do I ensure that my name is written in the book of life? The thought of one's name being erased from the book of life is a horrible one. Sometimes it even raises questions of security for believers. For instance, you might hear terminologies or phrases like, once I'm saved, am I always saved? Once saved, always saved. Can I lose my salvation? How do I ensure that I keep my salvation? Well, the New Testament is filled with both words of assurance and words of warning. So that's can sometimes be confusing in religious circles and and okay well there's 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 words of assurance and there there's words of warning sometimes he tells us something that is a little mixture of both of those things he gives us assurance while also warning us at the same time revelation 3:10 he says because you have obeyed my command to persevere i will protect you from the great time of testing that will come upon the whole world to test those who belong to this world. I am coming soon. Hold on to what you have so that no one will take your crown. Now, now we just flew through that passage, but just go back and go back to the other verse 10 and just read that again. He says, because you have obeyed my command to persevere, I will protect you from the great time of testing. I believe we're there. We'll come upon the whole world to test those who belong to this world. God is a God who tests us. He doesn't tempt us to sin, but he tests us to develop who he's calling us to be. And then in verse 11, he says, I am coming soon. Hold on to what you have. So no one will take away your crown. That is, to me, a word of encouragement and a word of warning at the same time. He starts with saying, I will protect you. We're getting ready. Book of Revelation, we're in the third chapter. We're in a letter to a church. We're getting ready to go into all the stuff that people try to figure out. But he starts with going, hang on, before I get into all that, I'm going to tell you as a church, I will protect you. But he ends with saying, hold on to what you have so no one steals it. Notice he gives his protection over us a little bit of a qualifier. He says in that 10th verse, he says, he starts with, he does not say, I will protect you. He starts with, because you have obeyed. I will protect you. He doesn't just say, I'm going to protect you. He says, because you have obeyed, I will protect you. Christ's unconditional love is not based on our behavior. But his favor and his protection are definitely based on our obedience to him. I'm going to get into this because people will accuse you sometimes, whether you realize it or not. Oh, you can earn salvation. You think you can earn salvation. God already paid the price for your salvation. You think you earn it by speaking in tongues or getting in water. You think that's what earns you your salvation? Don't ever fall for that. That's absolutely not. Uh, we, we, there's never a chance that we will ever earn our salvation. But his obedience is an invitation. And I've said this many times before. 
Christ's love language is obedience. You know, we say, what's your love? Oh, physical touch, words of affirmation, gifts. His is obedience. Let's talk for a moment on divine favor. Anybody want to be favored by God? Anybody want to be blessed? I still remember the message that Brother Kevin Weisker would get up here and say, grateful, thankful, blessed. He made fun of the grateful, thankful, blessed. And he was talking about blessing. And sometimes we view blessing wrong, but to me, blessing, favor. I want to be favored by God. I think sometimes we're like afraid to say that. Like, well, I don't, I don't, I don't want to just say that. I don't want to say I want to be favored by. Absolutely. I will stand in this microphone on this live stream and say, I pray that I, I find favor with God. God loves everyone. There is nothing anybody is doing anywhere in this world at this moment, no matter what time zone they're in, there's nothing they're doing that causes him not to love them. His love is unconditional. It's eternal. It's unending. It is forever. He loves everyone. But I will say there's such a thing as divine favor. There are certain people that seem to just connect with God on an easier or a deeper level. So do we sit there and be like, it ain't fair. They always just walk in and just touch God. I come in here and I can't touch them sometimes. Well, I, would, I would venture to say that they are touching him more frequently than you are. If all we're trying to do is touch God on Sundays, that's a little bit more difficult. You think again about your marriage. If, if I just said, hey, Jackie, I love talking to you tonight. I'll talk to you again on Sunday at 2. And Sunday at 2 rolls around, we chat. And then I say, I look forward to seeing you on Wednesday, at least for some. People online might be offended. You're laughing because you're here, see? But we see this in Scripture. God looks at David, and he says, a man after my own heart. I want to be a man after God's own heart. God looks at David and says, he's the apple of my eye. I want to be the apple of God's eye. He looks at John the Baptist and says, there's no greater man born among women. God just look at me and say there's no greater man born among women he looks at a child and looks at the whole group and says you want to make it happen you got to be like this little child I would hope God would look and say if you want to make it happen oh be like Gary that'd be awesome there are qualities and characteristics of the pursuit of God that catch his attention and catch the attention of the spiritual realm and I could even digress here and talk about some of the holiness and some of the things we do on the outside and the ways we present God with hair and clothing that catches the attention of the spiritual realm. It connects you as a believer to deeply spiritual things. It catches the attention of both God and his angels. This is not just happenstance. This is not predestination. Some religions, not many, but Calvinism, they'll say you're predestined, that God, you know what, you're born, all right, eeny, meeny, you're good, you're good, you're going to hell. doesn't matter what you do. You're predestined. You're predestined to be powerful. You're predestined to make it to heaven. You're predestined to go to hell. And, and, and we're just, yeah, you know, just predestination. It's all lined up for us. It's not scriptural. And neither is God looking at you going, you know what? You are a cute baby, so we're going to have a great deep relationship as you become an adult. Look at the psalm that is linked to the Lord's deliverance of David from all of his enemies and from Saul. In Psalm 1820, he says, The Lord, David writes, The Lord rewarded me for doing right. He restored me because of my innocence. For I have kept the ways of the Lord. I have not turned from my God to follow evil. I have followed all his regulations. I have never abandoned his decrees. I am blameless before God. I've kept myself from sin. The Lord rewarded me for doing right. He has seen my innocence. 
God will repay me according to the cleanness of my hands. Anybody willing to go, oh yeah, God, go ahead, repay me according to the cleanness of my hands. He will reward me according to my righteousness. Everybody comfortable saying that? Go ahead, Lord, reward me according to my righteousness. I think that some of us, me included, might not be as comfortable going, yes, reward me according to my righteousness. What is righteousness? Well, Webster's, I know Webster didn't write the Bible, but from what we can understand, he says it's the quality of being morally right or justifiable. Justifiable. Am I ever in the presence of God, in the sight of God, and can I ever say, I'm justified to be here? Now, that's a trick question, because I think most of us would be like, no, but that's incorrect. Now, Isaiah says in Isaiah 64, we're all infected and impure with sin. When we display our righteous deeds, they are nothing but filthy rags. Our righteous deeds are, are nothing but filthy rags. Well, what about the unrighteous ones? Our righteous deeds are nothing but filthy rags. Like autumn leaves, we wither and fall, and our sins sweep us away like the wind. My righteousness is like a filthy rag. So therefore, I, I'm never justified, right? I, I can't ever stand in his presence because the Bible says all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. The wages of sin are death. And so we go, well, but then it goes on. But the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. And that's where this terminology that Paul uses of justification comes into place. Because when I, because he shed his blood, there's nothing I could ever do. I could be perfect from here to the day I die, which we all know is not going to happen. But let's just pretend. Let's just pretend I only made one mistake my whole life. Truthfully, I probably made it like four or five. But <laughs> let's say I've made one. I still am a sinner. I've still failed. I still am not justified. I can't, perfection, imperfection can't be in heaven. And so some people go, well, I don't want to be a Christian. Good Lord, if I have to be perfect all the time, no, I have to be justified. And because he shed his blood, that blood now needs to be applied. And I repent at an altar. I repent of my sins. I now apply that blood to my life in the waters of baptism in the name of Jesus Christ. He washes away those sins. And then I'm raised to life. Scripture says, too, even in the resurrection, we're raised to life by his spirit. So which tells me I've got to be spirit filled. And the evidence of being spirit filled is speaking in other tongues as the spirit gives utterance like it was in the book of Acts. And so to me, if I have followed his plan that he lays out for my salvation, I now can stand in his presence justified. That's what justification by faith is what Paul lays out in the, in the, in the epistles. And so I can be justified by faith in the presence of God, not because, like people would accuse, oh, you earned your salvation because you jumped in some water or you spoke in tongues. No, 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 no. I could do that. And if he didn't pave a way and shed his blood and invite me into that plan, all that I did would be worthless. But because he shed blood and said, here's my plan, I am justified by my faith in that plan. When I say, oh, absolutely, I want to be washed in that blood. I want to take on that name and I want that spirit dwelling inside of me. So I can be made right when I was actually wrong simply because he made a way. The only way this happens is when we apply that blood through obedience. And faith and obedience, they work hand in hand. And so his plan in our obedience does not end there, though. It's not a one-time deal, one-day event where we write that date in our Bible and say, that's the day I was saved. I'll never forget. I was baptized when I was 7, 17, 37, 57, 87. It does not, th that's not what this is about. Now, that is a big day. It's a day where we have responded to his plan for our life. It, we will never forget that moment. 
But scripture is filled with calls to obey and to follow his plan. And it's also filled with warnings if we don't follow his plan. We often dislike and avoid the warnings because they threaten our sense of security. Yet this concern for security is the precise reason that the New Testament writers issued their warnings in the first place. In their warnings, they stressed the importance of obedience, faithfulness, and endurance. We see this in scriptures like Revelation 2.5. He says, look, a letter to a church. He says, look how far you've fallen. It's much more fun to write and preach. God's love, you're amazing, you're power. You have power over the demonic realm. Those messages are more exciting. Then when a preacher or an evangelist gets up and goes, repent. Usually, the music's faster. The clapping's louder. The amens are, are, are more frequent. than the repent. It's more fun to preach. You have power over the demonic realm. But he says, look how far you've fallen. Turn back to me and do the works you did at first. If you don't repent, I will come and remove your lampstand from its place among the churches. Now we can, people are in society, people in the church can say, see, I don't like that. That's so, that's so judgmental. That's so mean. That's so in your face. No, that's love. Thank God that he loves us enough to give us occasionally of a message of going, hey, you need to turn around from where you are. That's repentance in itself, 180-degree turnaround. You need to turn from what you're doing, go back to your first works, because I haven't removed your lampstand yet, but if you continue on this path, you're going to lose out with me. Thank God that he loves me enough to tell me that. And then in Revelation 13, 10, it says, anyone who's, a, who's destined for prison will be taken to prison. Anyone destined to die by sword will die by the sword. This means God's holy people must endure persecution patiently and remain faithful. Now, again, I read that and go, man, that doesn't excite me. There's not a lot there that I'm going, amen. Yeah, preach the word. That's good. That's good. Amen. That causes a lot of believers to be like, hey, you want to stay to the end or you want to go out the side door? You, we want to stick around for this? Because when I signed up, I saw the demonic realm being cast out. That was awesome. Now he's talking about persecution. Grab the kids. Let's, let's, let's head out. Skip the birthday cupcakes or whatever. But God's call to us, he says, you got to endure we see these words of obey, endure, remain faithful. God's call to us to live a life of obedience, it's nothing new. He repeatedly called the people of Israel in the Old Testament to be faithful. Look at the reason that God tells Abraham, I'm going to bless you. Why did he bless Abraham? How many people lived at that time? There's tons of people. Why does he choose Abraham? Again, was he a cute baby? Like, no. I mean, maybe he was. I don't know. But God looks at Abraham in Genesis 22. He says, I will certainly bless you. Now we're back. We're off the revelation stuff. Back to the fun stuff. He says, I will multiply your descendants, which was huge in the Old Testament, beyond number. Like the stars in the sky, the sand in the seashore, your descendants are going to conquer the cities of their enemies. I'm liking this. This is good stuff. Yeah. You're like, go on, go on. This is wonderful. And he says, and through your descendants, all nations of the, of the earth, is, they're going to be blessed. But then he adds these words, all because you obeyed me. We love the blessing. Descendants, riches, overcoming the enemy. God sees me. Wow, this is so good. And all, I'm going to do all these things because you've lived a life of obedience. We love the blessing. But what about turn, repent, obey? We don't have the blessing without the obedience. 
Oh, again, you're trying to say you can earn God's favor? No, I'm saying God loves us all no matter how we live. But if we want the divine favor and eternal blessing, he tells us, my blessing is tied to your obedience. Abraham didn't earn God's favor or blessing because if he would have done these things by himself, it would have meant nothing. But God invited him into a covenant relationship. But like that, it would be like if I said to you, hey, do me a favor, tomorrow my bank is right over here at Bank Midwest. Meet me there at 9 a.m. I'm going to withdraw a million dollars. <laughs> Why are you all laughing? I'm going to withdraw a million dollars. So you guys can't stop laughing. Let me say, I'm going to withdraw 500. Let's pretend I have 500. And I'm going to go, $500, meet me there. I'm going to write out a check. I'm going to withdraw and hand you the cash. I, want, I just want to bless you in the morning. If you show up at 9 a.m. at the bank, did you earn my $500? No, you did not. That was my invitation into something you did not earn. But if you don't show up at 9 a.m. and you come back to church on Sunday and go, this is stupid. I heard pastors give him up 500, and he didn't give me 500. And I said, well, hold it. I told you to be at the bank at 9 a.m. And you said, well, I was tired. And I said, well, that's not my fault. I was going to give you $500. You chose not to obey, not to accept the invitation. So eternal life, he says, here's my plan. Here's what I want to do. Now, you and your either ignorance or arrogance could say, I don't believe it. I don't think so. Nah, is that still for me? I'm not really interested. I don't think that. You can justify it all you want, but he has laid out a plan very clearly in Scripture. And he has said, here's what I'm going to do if you follow it. Here's what I'm going to do if you don't. Now, that's just not fair. Why would God cast someone into hell? He's laid out the plan. If you have chosen not to come to the bank at 9 a.m., you have nothing to complain about if you don't get $500. And so if he says, I want you to repent of your sins, they said, what are we supposed to do? Peter could not have preached more clearly. If I would have gotten up on the day of Pentecost, we'd have been there for 73 more verses. Peter just said, repent. Be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. You can sit here and say, I don't think that's a big deal. Take it up with Peter. He literally said, you should be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. And then he says, and then you're going to get the Holy Ghost with the evidence of speaking in other tongues. And he says, this is a promise. It's for you, your kids, as many as the Lord our God will call even as many as the Lord our God will call us that are far off, he looks at all of us, and it's still a promise. So there's an invitation into covenant. And he, he has a promise of eternity. He says, if I go to prepare a place for you, I'm going to come again. I will receive you unto myself so that where I am, you can be there also. You have an invitation. If, if you say, well, I just don't think. I just That's your choice. That is up to you, and he will never stop loving you, even if you choose not to obey. He will love you. but you will not be in an eternal place with him. That's not me being a judge or rude. That's what we see in Scripture. He literally spells it out. And so if I want to ensure my name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life, I, I have to enter into the covenant that he has invited me to be a part of. And now you can, again, you can justify it, you can say you, that's, that's, he, he has died to, not just to make, well, he, gave, he died to give you a choice. So you get to choose that today. And so, if I want his blessings, the favor of God is associated with the obedience to God. You want the favor of God? We cannot enjoy the favor of God without obedience to God. God's love language is obedience. And so look at the Old Testament prophet Samuel's farewell address when he speaks to the nation of Israel. 
He says in 1 Samuel 12, 18, he says, So Samuel called to the Lord and sent thunder and rain that day. All the people were terrified of the Lord and uh, the Lord of Samuel. They said, pray to the Lord, God, you're God. That's the problem. When the preacher preaches, the preacher, the God, God can't be the God of the preacher. He has to be the God of you. Right. So pray to your God. No, he's our God. He's your God. So he says, pray to your God or we're going to die. They all said to Samuel, for now we've added to our sins by asking for a king. Samuel says, don't be afraid. You have certainly done wrong. <laughs> I'm just going to get up and open my message with Sunday. Don't be afraid. You've all done wrong. You've certainly done wrong. But he says, but make sure now we can't do anything about what we've already done. But he says, but make sure now. Maybe I should have titled this message, make sure now. Yeah, yeah but I've never been baptized. I've never spoken in tongues. I've never really pursued God, never had a prayer life. Why are we talking about what happened yesterday? Church, make sure now. He says, make sure now that you worship the Lord with all of your heart and don't turn your back on him. Because when I repent, I'm turning a 180 turnaround, but I can, I can just keep spinning in circles. But if he's there, I'm, I'm heading that way and I'm not going to be like, oh. Why? Because if I keep doing this, there's journeys. But if he's over there, man, I got to just be like, I got to get here. I ain't going anywhere else. I, and if I trip and fall, I'm going to get myself back up and I'm just going to keep worshiping him. I'm about to keep pursuing him. And he says, don't go back to worshiping idols that can't help your rescue. They're totally useless. The Lord will not abandon his people. Thank you, God, for that. The Lord won't abandon his people because that would dishonor his great name. For it pleased the Lord to make you his own people. That's beautiful, guys. I mean, we read that and go, God won't abandon you. He won't abandon you. He, it pleased him to make you his own people. When you go to the New Testament, it pleased him to wash away your sins. It pleased him to fill you with his spirit. As for me, I will certainly not sin against the Lord by ending my prayers for you. I'll continue to teach you what is good and right, but be sure to fear the Lord faithfully and serve him. Think of the wonderful things he's done for you. And then he says, but... If you continue to sin, you and your king are going to be swept away. What? He just got done preaching a beautiful message. Hey, don't worry. Just keep worshiping God. Don't turn your back on him. Keep pursuing. He won't abandon you. He is with you like it. And that's right. Amen. Amen. Yeah, that's good. That's a good word, Sammy. Yeah, preach it. But... If you continue to sin, if you just keep going, keep disobeying, keep pursuing the wrong things, you and your king will both be swept away. Well, that's not fair. What a judgment. What a rude God. Does he not love me? He loves you very much. That's why he said, here's the plan. Here's the invitation to covenant. Here's the fact I won't abandon you. Here's the fact I'm with you. Here's the fact that I love you. But here's the fact I'm also going to call you to repentance. Here's the fact that I'm going to lay out the plan and say, you know what? Turn away from those things and pursue me. Because I love you, but I don't want to just love you. I want to bless you. I want you to have favor. You to have anointing. Yeah, this, this life we live, sometimes it's so restricting from the things of this world. But I, I've had people tell me, I'm not a huge fan of the lifestyle things that Pentecostals have, but I love their worship in the presence of God. Why do you think you have that worship in the presence of God? Because of the lifestyle you've chosen to live. He looks and he, you find favor, you find anointing. Samuel calls for that repentance. And all the promises and predictions of God are conditioned 
on our faithfulness and obedience. It doesn't get much more clear than this. Jeremiah 18, verses 7 through 10, is he says, If I announce that a certain nation or kingdom is to be uprooted, tore down, or dis- and destroyed, but then that nation renounces its evil ways, I will, now I will pause here because does this make you think of any nation? How about Nineveh? Go take a message to him, Jonah. I don't want to go take a message to him. Jonah's more concerned about the tree than he is about the nation. And so he says, but if some, I, I could go ahead and have destruction planned for them. But if they turn, if they turn, I will not destroy it as I planned. This is the God we serve. Abraham pleads with God. Yeah, but if there's 50 righteous people, I won't destroy them. If there's 40 righteous people, I won't destroy them. 30, 20, 10. What if there's 10 righteous people? I won't destroy them. Can't even find 10 righteous people in Sodom and Gomorrah. So he destroys them. We can't wrap our mind around that, but he's, he he says, I won't. If, if people are pursuing me, even if I had plans, they're, so what does that tell me today? It doesn't matter where you are. You can turn and just begin to pursue him, seek God, follow his command and his invitation to covenant. Paul realized that this disobedience of Israel led to the Gentile inclusion as the people of God. Honestly, I've never been more happy to read about somebody failing. Israel didn't obey. Thank God. Now we're non-Jewish Gentiles. That's, I don't know of anybody here that's a Jewish person, an Israelite. So uh, we're Gentiles. Thank the Lord. <laughs> and so, but Paul realizes, and he clearly warns Gentile, just non-Jewish Christians, not to be overconfident. And I will read this, a long passage, but follow along with this. Romans eleven thirteen. 13, he says, I'm saying all this especially for you Gentiles. Say, that's me. God has appointed me as the apostle to the Gentiles. I stress this, for I want somehow to make the people of Israel jealous of what you Gentiles have, so I might save some of them. That's an interesting approach. He says, for since their rejection meant that God offered salvation to the rest of the world, their acceptance will be even more wonderful. It will be life for those who were dead. And since Abraham and the other patriarchs were holy, why was Abraham holy? We just read it. Because he obeyed. Their descendants will also be holy. Obedience, a home parents that lead the way and say, as for me and my house, we will obey. They raise their children in an atmosphere of obedience. We should never follow God in convenience. We should follow him in obedience. And he says, he says, just as an entire batch of dough is holy, Because the portion given as an offering is holy. For if the roots of a tree are holy, the branches will be too. But some of these branches from Abraham's tree, some of the people of Israel, they've been broken off. And you Gentiles who were branches from a wild olive tree have been grafted in. He says, you've been grafted in. So now... You also receive the blessing that God has promised Abraham and his children, sharing in the rich nourishment of the root of God's special olive tree, which is interesting because when, when he writes to Galatians, he says, when do we become heirs to Abraham's promises and his seed? He says it's when we are baptized unto Christ. So if we want to be a part of this, water baptism in Jesus' name is crucial based on what Paul says. And so he says, well, you may say those branches were broken off to make room for me. A little bit of arrogance there. (laughs) I broke those branches off because a better thing was coming. Paul says, yes, but remember, those branches were broken because they didn't believe in Christ. And you are there because you do believe, justified by faith. So don't think highly of yourself, but fear what could happen. Now, that doesn't sound like a message we preach a lot. We're not supposed to fear. 
Fear means a healthy reverence, respect. Can you look when it says, fear the Lord? That doesn't mean we're supposed to run around and be like, Jesus? No, it's this reverence, this, this respect for our creator. He says, you need to have a fear for what could happen. For God did not spare the original branches. He won't spare you either. Why? If you don't believe in Christ, is what he's talking about here. Notice how God, Paul says this, is both kind and severe. To me, I think we need to have a healthy balance. God, my Father, I'm not going to just walk around all the time and be like, what's up, God, how's it going? But I'm also not going to be like, God, I'm sorry, I'm coming to you again. He says I can come boldly before the throne of grace, but I'm also to fear the Lord. So I know I can come in because he loves me. He wants my, my attention. He wants to hear my voice. He wants that. But I also need to know it's not just God my friend. It's also God my judge. And so we have this relationship, but there's also a reverence. That almost sounds like being a bride. Isn't that what the church is? A bride of Christ. My wife and I, I should have a reverence for her. But also, there's a friendship. If I always just like, what's up, Jackie? She's like, what? I remember one time I went to my principal. Me and my friend were walking down the hall, and the principal came out. And my friend said, what's up? And the principal stopped and said, you just what's up me? You don't what's up me, son. <laughs> he stopped him. You just what's up me? I'll never forget that. But there's a, a healthy respect of, now this is my bride Bridegroom. But yet there's a friendship in the midst of that reverence and respect. It's the bride of Christ. Paul also warns against pride of thinking, oh yeah, our, our actions, our own holiness somehow make us worthy. Be careful with that. Your distinctives, your, your apostolic identity, internal, external, those are things that I believe catch the attention of the spiritual realm. But it doesn't make you better than people. This is a commitment, a consecration unto God. But I don't ever look at somebody who doesn't choose to do that yet or doesn't see that yet and be like, don't do that. We're not saved by works. We're saved by faith and obedience. And God's favor, blessing, and salvation are all based on whether or not we choose to obey and respond in faith. When he says, if you stop trusting, then you will also be cut off. That pretty much ends the doctrine of eternal security. Once saved, always saved. Some churches will preach this. Oh yeah, once saved, always saved. But yet scripturally, he's like, you need to keep doing this. If you don't, you can be torn out too. Uh, he that continueth, E-T-H, he that doeth. The scripture is constantly Old and New Testament. Keep pursuing, keep following, keep obeying. Because even if I say, well, yeah, I repented of my sins. I was baptized in Jesus' name. I was filled with the Holy Ghost. And now today, I'm going out to get hammered. Like at any point, I could just walk away. And it doesn't matter if I've experienced those things. If I choose, today's my day to stop obeying. Obedience is key and it's crucial. And sometimes people struggle with this in the context of religion. But just tonight, there was a very unfortunate accident. We relate, our family, because a, a truck's totaled, airbags are deployed. It hit into an SUV. The SUV rolled and went right in front of QT into the electrical box. In the whole 291, the stoplights were down. That car started on fire. The electrical box is totally black and, and all, all, on, all, all singed with, with smoke. Well, when, when nobody wakes up in the morning and is like, you know what? I think I'm, I mean, not any, maybe they're psychopaths, but nobody wakes up and is like, I'm going to go get in an accident today. There's a reason it's called an accident. Typically, unless you're a little unstable. You're not going to be just like, I'm going to floor this and try and hit that car in front of me. But usually that's happening because someone somewhere, it was an accident, but they, they did not obey some form of law. And we almost had another accident because some drivers in Missouri don't understand uncontrolled intersections. 
we were literally stopped, and I'm like, here, now when you start driving, and I couldn't finish my sentence, and we're waiting, and a car just goes right past us, almost slams into the car that's turning left in front of us. It was their turn, but not this knucklehead's turn who flew in like this. But if we're not going to live according to law and live in obedience, accidents will happen. It will cost lives. Christ gives his law, even the law of Moses that we say, well, thank God we're not in the law. That's 613 commandments in the Old Testament. Thank the law was not worthless. Paul calls it a schoolmaster that brought them to Christ. It was, a, it was a stepping stone. They had just left Egypt after 430 years of bondage. They didn't know how to be a nation. What do you eat? Where do you go? How do you build houses? How do you deal with marital issues? How do you deal with legal issues? Oh, thank God I earned a law. Thank God there was a law. God in his love and mercy provided them with a law. Now, I am thankful that we've been set free from that, and that was just the schoolmaster that brought us to Christ, and we don't have to worry about wearing mixed garments and things like that. But we need to understand, human disobedience brings judgment. While human obedience and dependence on God are the basis for long and everlasting eternal security. That's what that is. And so as I close that, at the time when the New Testament was given, it was costly. It was threatening to, a, to be a Christian. They didn't fear it. Matter of fact, people were volunteering to die. They were like, oh, I, I can die for the cause of Christ. But the book of Revelation promises a secure hope for Christians despite the constant threat at that time. The hope is set clearly in the context of the warnings and the judgment. Revelation 21, 27, he says, Nothing evil will be allowed to enter, nor anyone who practices shameful idolatry and dishonesty, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. So again, I finish where I started. There's nothing on this earth. There's no fair trade. Nothing on this earth. No one on this earth is worth me making that trade. Sometimes we get caught in the moment of what's really feeling pressing and stressful and attractive, whatever it is. But when you stop and go, it's not worth eternity with my Lord. I've got to do anything I need to do to the point where Jesus says, yeah, if your hand offends you, cut it off. Your eye effect, it's causing problems. Yep, pluck it out. Like, whoa. <laughs> That's pretty intense. If the iPhone keeps you out of heaven, get rid of it. Well, that's extreme. Well, if he said take off your hand. I mean, seriously, if an iPhone is going to cause issues, go back to the Motorola flip phone. With an LCD screen and no color. We got to do whatever we need to do. Whatever we have to do, we've got to do it. Yeah, but filtering on computers, that costs money. Or the other cost is eternity. Pay the money. Do whatever we got to do. Yeah, but this person at my job, they keep flirting with me. You better switch jobs. Yeah, but there's not much out there. Only working at McDonald's for 18, 16, which when I was there, it's like five. But now you can like make $20 an hour flipping, flipping burgers, and that's not enough. You better go find a new job. Why? Because your house is better with your spouse in it. I want my name written in Lamb's Book of Life. I want to spend eternity with Jesus Christ. And the only way that I can ha that, 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 that can happen is if I continue. That's why I don't say, when were you saved? I'm still working on it. I'm continuing. I'm faithfully pursuing. I have to live in faith. I have to live in obedience. James 1.25 says, if you look carefully into the perfect law that sets you free, and if you do what it says, and don't forget what you heard, 
then God will bless you for doing it. Grateful, thankful, blessed. I want to be grateful, thankful, and blessed. But that does not mean getting a new car and a new house. Those are nice blessings. But I want to remember what God said. I want to pursue him. I want to never forget what I heard. I want to be blessed. I want to, I want to, have, I want to have favor with God. I want my name in the Lamb's book of life. And the only way to ensure this is definitely we start with obeying his plan for salvation. But it doesn't stop there. It's this pursuit. It's this hunger. It's continuing, doing, pursuing, loving, obeying. We will not have our name in the Lamb's book of life if we do not live a life of obedience. That's scripture. And so all the temptation and all the things of this world, it ain't worth that moment of pleasure, that season of pleasure to trade in eternity. I do not want my name erased from the, the, the Lamb's book of life. I want to hear, well done, the good and faithful servant. I want to be able to see the face of my Savior, to see the nail-scarred hands, to have him be the light and never need the sun, to worship him day and night, to throw, cast our crowns at his feet and cry, holy, holy, holy is the Lord. There's nothing that is more important to me than that. And I invite you to find a place to pray tonight before you head downstairs and just try to keep the main thing to main thing. Try, if you've, if you've messed up, you got off track, what did scripture say? Don't worry about that, but now worship. Now turn to him. Now pursue him. Now obey him. Now make sure that he's the Lord of your life. Jesus, help us. God, we're living in this world that is so tempting sometimes. There's so much distraction. But God, let us never lose sight of the eternal. Let us never lose sight of who you are and what you've invited us to be a part of and the covenant relationship we've been invited to walk in, Lord. God, help us to live a life of obedience where we're not just living obedience, but we're teaching our children to walk in obedience, God. Oh, Lord, we love you so much. We want to see your face, God.